1: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage and conserve rock art, both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips. We have trainings, exercise. We do research. And in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm I'm open to give me a call 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts. And also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land.
0: You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hey out
1: there in uh, archaeology podcast land, this is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, and we're having Alexis Zubia, the performance lead on the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival. You'll learn a bit about what a petroglyph festival is all about, a little more about Native American culture, and some of the blessings of having such a, a two-day extravaganza. You don't want to miss this one, gang. Hello, everybody in uh, Archaeology Podcast Land. This is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, for episode ninety-three of the Rock Art Podcast, and we are blessed to have our guest scholar, our our interviewee of Alexis Zubia, who's the uh, performance lead for the Petroglyph Festival in Ridgecrest, the one and only the uh, the rock art extravaganza that uh, has been going on for quite a number of years, and I believe it's the only one in the world. Alexis, are you with us?
2: Hi there. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on today's podcast for the 93rd episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, Alexis. So the way I uh, start this out is uh, I ask you to kind of reflect and go back in your mind about how you ever got involved with with this, with a petroglyph festival and being involved in the performance uh, aspect. How did that come to pass? And how did you get interested in being part of this whole shebang and maybe uh, give some people a, a soundbite or two about what a petroglyph festival could be?
2: Cool. Awesome. Well, um, I have been joined for the eighth annual Richard's Petroglyph Festival was my first year as the performance lead. I did it only Saturday and then this year was my first time doing both days. A we'll little backtrack on how I got started Well, my dad is the chairman of the Pet- Richard's uh, Petroglyph foundation, educational foundation. And so he's kind of prior to him being the chairman, he had been associated with the festival, kind of helped get it together in its early years. And he was actually the performance lead for it. And so I used to go as just an attendee of the event of the festival and I would just see everything to light. And it was just really, really exciting for me. I really enjoyed it. And then when he kind of moved up in that realm, I decided to kind of, you know, ask around and take that lead. And here I am.
1: That's fantastic. So what is the Ridgecrest Pe- Festival? Maybe give us a, a few sound bites if you could.
2: So the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival first started nine years ago. And the whole idea behind it was just to bring to life, you know, first of all, the petroglyphs that you would probably have more information on, but that are, you know, on our China Lake naval base. So that was one of the reasons why we we considered it being the Petroglyph Festival. And then all the Native American culture that is surrounding our area, all the tribes that are in our region. And so that was really the focus of it. Obviously, the first few years were not as geared towards as Native American while we were still getting our footsteps in the door. But now we've really kind of um, made it centric to the Native American culture and the petroglyphs. And prior to COVID, we did have, as you know, we had tours that would tour a group of people and get on China Lake Base. And you'd go see the real petroglyphs. Post-COVID, that has been an issue that has not actually happened. So we've just been doing the tours for the park that are right next to the location of the festival. And so that that's kind of the whole that's the whole realm of the festival. Now, you know, it's just really there to have fun and, and understand the culture and respect it. And to just really see this side that the Native American culture is allowing us to see. So that that's that's really what the festivals is, is about.
1: So the Petroglyph Festival is an annual function. I believe it's the first weekend in November. And they've set that up because November is Native American month, isn't it?
2: Yes, that is correct.
1: So I know it's evolved uh, from its original inception. I think I've been part and parcel of that attempting to support and help with uh, identifying Native American themes and entertainment and what have you, both being successful and also failing miserably. (laughs) It's It's been quite an adventure. It has been. Maybe you could give... Uh, our our audience our listeners some kind of understanding about you know some of the idiosyncrasies or the journey we've been on alexis it's um it's quite amazing isn't it
2: yes and it's not so it simple it has been such a journey it is it's been very complex you know at the start of it we did have an understanding of wanting to bring local tribes a part and to be a part of the Rich Rest Petroglyph Festival. And within our few years, you know, we obviously took a big, a large step backwards with that because we were not capturing Native American culture like we should have. And we definitely got the backlash from it. And so, you know, to continue to keep the Native American culture alive with this festival that happens, we had to outsource and we had to find tribes from the Grand Canyon and Obviously, in recent years, we started to get more local tribes. We started with the Tubatulabs. Uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Darren, something so like that. T-
1: yeah. So you had the Tubatulabs who are in the South Fork of the Kern River in the, the far southern Sierra.
2: Yes, yeah, so we finally got them back for the first time. You know, which was a first local tribe in a long time, which was last year. Yeah. Our point of contact rest in peace. He um, actually was in a motorcycle accident and passed away. But that was really unfortunate. But after that we started to really get local tribes to want to commit to this. And this was our first year where we had, you know, the importance of the local tribes and we really got to, you know, we got, well, we, as in my dad, he got the uh, powwow out there and it was just really beautiful to see how from past years where we started with local tribes to where we kind of backtracked and we're just trying to fulfill, fulfill Native American culture to where we're actually starting to to get the local tribes back. And it's just such an honor for them to be in our presence.
1: What's it like to strategically align with another group and develop a powwow? I know we in, in years past, we had one, I remember. Yes. But then yes. But then we, we had skipped that for many years as well and then brought it back. Did we not?
2: Yes. No, that's completely correct. I don't mean to like, you know, put it all on my dad, but my dad really did, Matthew Zubia, he really did commit to, to, to learning about, you know, the powwow and getting in touch with Pete Whitehorse and, and really, you know, doing his best to really like have those conversations with like, what can we do to support you, to get you out here, you know, to put on this powwow, to show everyone what the Native American culture is about. And that's really what he did. It took him, I was just having this debrief with him last night um, about how he got him here and, you know, how it took about eight months to actually get it get the powwow here and to see it through. Unfortunately, he didn't see it through because he ended up getting COVID, you know, right before the event, which was so crazy. But yeah, he really, that was really what it was. And I talked to Pete Whitehorse and, you know, he would love to to talk to, you know, to his point of contact, which he sees as my dad and and really see if maybe next year is going to be the start of something great.
1: Well, I, I know that um, I've experienced powwows before, not many, just a handful. And, you know, I'm an anthropologist, archaeologist, and I, I sort of always felt kind of ill at ease. I didn't know what to do with myself when I was mm-hmm. there or or what that was really all about. But this one I felt very differently. I have to tell you, the way the announcer and the drummers and the, the uh, ceremonial dancers were respected and introduced and loved on and honored and paid homage to was really, really something.
2: Yes, it really
1: was. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. It was just a, a very different ambiance, a sense of recognition and partnership and blessings and prayer. I mean all of that all mixed together with, with the dancers. And I thought that the, um, the general public who saw it and appreciated it, I think, I think they were into it. I think they, they enjoyed it. Did you get much feedback I think on so that too? Yeah,
2: um, I actually got a lot of feedback. I got so much feedback, I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> to be quite well, we'll, frank okay.
1: with you, well, tell give me some give me some sound bites, please.
2: Of course, yeah. Um, so a lot of people were really impressed with how much Native Native American culture that we brought to the Redress Petrol, the ninth annual one this year, and that was that was really like you said, the soundbite for everything. Everyone was just really happy that the powwow was there. Not only the powwow, but you know, the fried bread and just just everything and its whole entire ambiance that the Native American culture brings to our community, our small little community. I mean, there was people that were coming up to me from outside of our region. I mean, people from outside of our country, there was people from Europe, like there was people from all over. It was really, really amazing to see how, you know, they just heard a powwow and, you know, maybe they're visiting from Dal Valley and they, they drove on over here. There was obviously locals that were just really impressed with how large the turnout was this year. I got local vendors and vendors from all over that were just like, wow, you know, local vendors being like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen it like this before. Even prior to that one time, we did have the powwow. And I had other vendors that weren't not local that were like, I'm going to come back. This is great. I've never been here before, but they they just were so, they they, they did great financially. They, they made a good amount of revenue.
1: Well, I have to say, you know, I'd been to many I don't think everyone, but, but many of the original functions, the petroglyph festivals, the two-day events.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and this one was a transformation for me. There was something very, very different. First of all, the numbers of people were just extraordinary. I, I, yes. I think the, the visitation was up radically. I don't know what the numbers. Did you get any estimates or anything like that?
2: I I think our marketing team is still working on those numbers and they'll probably give those numbers to our executive director of the welcome center here shortly. Um, and then we'll we'll, all put those numbers on our website. Like we usually do on the rpfestival.com website, which will kind of, it'll showcase the numbers from each year moving forward.
1: Yeah. So that was amazing. And then additionally, there seemed to be, seemed to be more high-quality vendors, and the food was phenomenal, and the, and the people were <laughs> very, very friendly, very open, and, and very – it was just different. There was a, a different flavor and feeling about the whole festival. It
2: was. It really was. I totally agree with you.
1: So give us a, a, a bit of an understanding of your role and what your responsibilities were with respect to the uh, last festival
2: uh yes, um, so uh obviously, as you mentioned, my title is a performance lead. I took that on you know last year, and moving forward, um, I will probably take on that role for a few more years to come my My role specifically is to not you know more so last year, but to help get the performers out here to to help select the performers to help them to feel at ease to help them want to come out here now once we get them out here my role at that point is to make sure we get all their writers which is like the requirements for what they will need to be able to perform and you know i set them up in a green room and mm-hmm. you know we have basically it's basically a space you know for them to be able to unwind you know get get ready for the performance and you know get changed whatever get some refreshments in and then at that point um they come up on stage and I, I, I introduce them. I'm kind of like the MC and I, you know, give everyone a little bit of a backstory about them and they perform. And then at that point, you know, same thing. I, you know, take them to the green room again and kind of just, it's on repeat. And I really get at that point, I really get to understand their culture and get to know them on a deeper level, just being, you know, face to face and having that interpersonal interaction with them. And just make sure, you know, that they are very pleased with with how everything's turning out so we can get them back next year.
1: So I guess one of the first things was it's not so easy to acquire a Native American uh, performer, is it?
2: (laughs) It definitely is not. You know, if you if you were not at our eighth annual, a lot of the performers that were at our eighth annual were not back for our ninth annual. And that was just transitioning, transitioning into local tribes and transitioning into getting different, you know, understanding of the culture and from different sides of view, especially from our local region, which is something that we've been deprived of for, for for a few years. And so. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge, but I really hope that this year's lineup sticks with us for a few years. We had a lot, got a lot of great feedback from them. You know, we had the Basket Weavers. We had Eric or Terry Goodell's nephew, Eric Hernandez. We had, oh, man, I can't even name it. We just had some great performers. And I think that it really highlighted not only the Native American culture, but in a way that our our Native American local region
1: I gave you a good Good uh, cross-section of understanding both the music, the dance, yes. the, the arts. Last year, when I was at the festival, I decided that, you know, we have this thing called a petroglyph park. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wouldn't it be interesting to use that as a means of, of educating and entertaining people and having them learn a bit about the uh, petroglyphs, since that's the theme <laughs> of, the, of the festival. And I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if it would work or not. I mean, I'd never, we'd never tried that. So we gave it a go and people loved it. And then this time we, we elevated that, made it to one of the centerpieces, had people sign up and oh my word, there was like, you know, I did four little tours, walking tours one day and three the next. And I think the most people I had, one was a dozen and, um, it's a lot of people. It, well, it's a lot of people and, and very entertaining and people, people signed up and I actually had to air, uh, add an early one because uh, a couple of people from San Diego uh, wanted to uh, have that tour as well. So it's interesting to uh, be part and parcel of this, you know, theme. And with that, I'll catch you on the flip-flop. We'll continue in the next segment. Pulling up to Mickey D's Just for Drinks? This is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel, episode 93 with Alexis Zubia, talking about the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival, the only uh, rock art festival in the world, to my mind. And Alexis, uh, I know we sort of gave people a few sound bites and some of the uh, overarching elements of what it's like to deal with orchestrating a performance like this, but what is the purpose of, of some sort of a, a two-day affair like this and attracting the general public, what do we hope to accomplish?
2: I think the primary focus is really the Native American culture for one, but really to get a crowd out there to want to dive into that culture and to want to learn about a culture that was so far past, you know, what people think the reality of it was. Um and to really understand it into in the in the way that it was not only for enjoyment. But for, you know, respect and for, you know, just a complete complex understanding in in the way that a festival brings, you know, food, friends, family, you name it, you know. And so I think that's really like the primary purpose of having the festival is to just dive deeper into that culture for people that may not be in that culture to like want to to be a part of it and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that's really the ca- what we try to capture in this festival.
1: Yeah. I know as an archaeologist, anthropologist, I've worked with Indians, Native Americans, for uh, 40, 40, 50 years. And it's not always an easy interaction. Yeah. There's conflicts. There's different values. There's uh, laws that are regulating the way I behave. And sometimes those laws are not... Uh, respectful or not in the same vein as the Native American traditions or the directions they want me to go. So it's a, it's a, it's really a challenging circumstance, but with this festival, you have entertainment, you've got food, you've got fun, but you do, but you do have authentic Native people that are attempting to preserve their culture through a variety of ways, through tradition, singing, drumming, dancing, uh, decorative arts, what have you. And then introducing some of that to, I think, the public who may have never seen that before or may have never experienced it so intimately. Am I correct?
2: I think you hit the nail on the donkey. I think that's exactly what it is. And I I don't think I could have said it better. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think I think that's exactly what the festival about, you know, pr- preservation and of the Native American culture. So that's a
1: that's an interesting issue, preservation of Native American culture. And that kind of overlaps with the uh, resource base that sort of spawned this whole festival. Now, Ridgecrest is attempting to brand themselves as the city of the petroglyphs. What does that mean?
2: I think for one, you know, like we highlighted earlier, the petroglyphs that are on the naval base, China Lake Naval Base. I think for one, that really is you know the stepping stone for why the city of Ridgecrest holds this festival.
1: I think I, I think they were looking for some sort of a a tagline, a signature, right? Something that something that would give them distinction, and certainly the Matarango Museum. Being there on the main drag.
2: Exactly. I mean, yeah, th- those two right there. And then, you know, introducing it every yeah. year for people to come and to come see it again or people that have never been to come and understand it in a way that they've never understood it before or F at all. And so I think that that is why the City of Ridgecrest really tries to highlight such, the, such a festival because it's important to highlight it. I mean, we said it earlier, preservation of the Native American culture. It's been hindered for so long. And I think that to speak to speak out in a festival, it's like, there's no other way. There's no better way to do that. Uh, Alexis, that's,
1: that's a really good, you know, way to look at this because I think one of the themes, the functions, the um, way in which that the city of Ridgecrest uh, has partnered with the, uh, you know, Ridgecrest Chamber of Commerce and the, uh, the, uh, the Welcome Center as well. There's a lot of different, th- different moving parts, isn't there? A lot of different entities that are, that are all sort of integrating. You've got the Matarango Museum, and then you also have the base. Now, the base at China Lake, you know, is a million acres. But their mission, of course, is to create instruments that we can defend ourselves with. And they're in the business of armaments and weaponry. So but they have been a uh, a very active advocate in preservation conservation in uh, allowing people to visit the uh, one main canyon. Now part of the reason that they were unable to facilitate visitation was twofold. Of course one was because of the uh, pandemic, right? Right. But what's the other one?
2: The 2019 earthquakes.
1: <laughs> right. Why don't we say a little bit about those earthquakes, Doctor?
2: Yeah. I think
1: we had two of them, right?
2: We did. We had them, what, July, I want to say July 4th and it then July, July
1: 5th? 4th. Yeah, July 4th and July 5th. I think the fourth one was off the base. The fifth had its centerpiece there at the base. And Correct. I'm told they, had something, they have something like $8 billion worth of damage on the base. Something I that's catastrophic.
2: I did I did hear that it was all centered around the base and the most of the earthquake damage was on base and it prevented you know people from coming they became you know more stricter with civilian cat which I can't remember the the, the terminology of the abbreviation but it's essentially a card a security card um security clearance card and so I, you know I'm just a regular civilian and you know at some point they just stopped permitting access did you work on base? No, No, I didn't. But my, my dad has been working on base for years. And so um, because of that, I was able to get a civilian access card and be able to, you know, get, get on base for whatever I needed to go on base for maybe the pool or maybe the bowling alley, you know, fun little things, you know, throughout that base. And yeah, at some point. They restricted everybody after the earthquakes from being able to be a civilian on base, you know, that including spousal, spousal cowards, you know, not even a spouse who of the government um, employee could even access the base at that point. And to this day.
1: Yeah. So I know that during my tenure, my association with the base through many, many decades, things have gotten more and more and more difficult to access the base to go anywhere else but Little Petroglyph Canyon. Now, fortunately, in the last few years, I had a um, a graduate student uh, who wanted to get her Ph.D. from the University of Florida, and she was permitted to go to a number of different canyons and photograph and document petroglyphs throughout the base during her tenure there. She was there for a couple of months to do that. So, there are occasions and circumstances, windows of opportunity. But again, it 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 just depends upon the circumstances, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, you know chaotic and tremendous challenges that the base right. is facing. So Definitely, I've heard. Hopefully, hopefully I've heard that um, come the spring, come May, they're now considering opening up Little Petroglyph Canyon again, but. We shall see. I heard that
2: too. We shall see, right? Um, it would be such an honor to re restart what we'd started nine years ago. The visits. The visits, the visits. And so I think that that would really highlight our festival again, more than, you know, it did before because we've been, like I said, deprived of being able to, to visit the Canyon. And so I really, you know, I really hope that that we get to see the light someday again but at the same time I am understanding of the concept as to why it is restricted from yeah. the public
1: and I and I do too now I I think I understand that they're opening the canyon or the the facilities they're on the base to Native Native Americans selectively and they're allowing them to go to the Koso Hot Springs for their sweats. Have you heard that or no?
2: I actually have not heard that. Enlighten me. I'm, I'm a little intrigued on this. Well, in the past,
1: they use the, um, the old 1930s structures uh, and they bring in tarps and they do sweats out at the Coso Hot Springs because okay. the, the steam and the, and the, you know, the actual uh, heat allows them to do that there. And they, they can stay overnight and camp there.
2: Interesting,
1: and I think it's I think it's only that's, for that's native really people neat. and those that. And this want is to just richer. a select, okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a group of native people, but the native people can invite, you know, other non-natives, and if they wanted to go there for sweats, and but uh, I, I believe there is someone there, at least there was in the past, who leads those kinds of trips, and nice. they're given somewhat free access because you know that uh, the coastal hot springs, of course, has been a religious or sacred site to the uh, native people for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Neat, that's really neat. Have you ever been out to the uh, hot springs though?
2: I have not, that is something that as being a local, I have not dived into yet. And I would really, it really interests me to go, but I'm just waiting for the right time, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and it's, it's difficult in another situation where you'd have to have special access. That's right. where they do the the geothermal facility right there, and they they've produced energy that I think is exported outside of Ridgecrest and they I think they produce an equivalent amount of energy as a nuclear power plant that's what I'm told so you can imagine with this uh, active geothermal energy available it um, it makes it uh an an interesting exercise you've got the The, uh, you know, the the industrial side, plus you've got the religious, sacred, and uh, native tradition side meeting up at at one interface. So, and with that, we'll uh, take a break and come back for the third and last segment.
0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com. aware Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah,
1: that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, gang. This is uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel with the third segment, episode 93 of your Rock Art podcast with Alexis Zubia talking about the Petroglyph Festival, talking about its concept, its development, and uh, what uh, Ridgecrest pulled off on the ninth annual Petroglyph Festival. So what do you think the greatest wins were, Alexis, at this festival? What do you think we, that was done the best and you heard the best things about? And what would you do different or what, what things would you bring back and um, what ideas would you want to uh, test out during uh, this next year?
2: Yeah, well, I, de- I definitely think that we captured the Native American spirit, the culture with having the powwow there, number one. I mean, they handled everything, how they they handled it. We, th- we gave them the reins. They basically ran it and, you know, contributed the entire powwow. We just we just helped them get here, you know, and they took it from there. And so I really think that us allowing them to do that for one was what really captivated the festival. And I would definitely hope that they would, you know, decide to come back in years moving forward. As far as, you know, my focus, which was, you know, the stage, the performers on stage, I think that we really captured a lot of That American culture that we have not in the past and not that we haven't completely in the past, but I think we really highlighted that local, that local spirit, that local reality. And I think that was really, really important for this year's festival. And moving forward, I would love to keep that going. You know, obviously, each festival, there's always something new that we learn about that we need to do better in the the next year's moving forward. And, you know, this year, I think we were very limited on that. I think, you know, we did very, we did very well at capturing what we wanted to capture all along for these last nine years and or eight years prior to this year. And so as far as that goes, I mean, I'm always open to, to, to consideration of, you know, other people that, that, you know, one was, Hey, you know, why aren't you playing music during the dead period of the performances? But we really want it to be all about Native American culture. So, you know, something that we have been talking about is maybe having instrumental Native American music playing when there aren't any performers on stage to kind of, you know, make it not sound so dead. Because, you know, the powwow is a- across from where all the vendors are, from where the stage is. So it is hard to hear when you're in one vicinity and you're not near them. And so that's one thing that we we kind of discussed and hopefully that we can bring that, the, that next year. But I don't think that it was a breaking stone for how successful this festival was. I just think it would be a great incorporation moving forward.
1: Did people partake and go into the, uh, the welcome center much? Was that, was that highlighted or showcased?
2: I don't think as much as last year since we, we opened it last year, but I did have a few people ask me where the camel rides, (laughs) why don't, why aren't there any camel rides? And so I, I think that that would be really cool to like, maybe bring that back. But at the same time, I think, the importance of just like the native American culture is what we want to define the festival as. And so the welcome center, yes, we would love for people to go to the welcome center. We'd love people to go check out, you know, like you had um, the virtual reality experience for people to understand what was it? Little rock Canyon or the petroglyphs. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, that would be great. But if, if not come another day, you know, we understand, but the concern with that is obviously there was a lot of people that were not locals at this festival. So we want everyone to get, all the experience, but at the same time, it'd be great if they loved it so much that they come back and get a different experience that they did the year before. And so I think it's important to really just highlight the festival and have the welcome center. I mean, we had, we had a booth there and we were, you know, selling, you know, merchandise and, and letting, you know, giving people information. And, you know, I think one thing that we could highlight more is having more informational booths within the native American culture. I mean, we had Dr. Parker and Lucy Parker There and they, their basket weaving ladies, and they had a lot of information. I mean, years of knowledge in their culture, and I think that that right there was so great to to capture that information um, within the their their community, and to have more of that would be even better to highlight more of the festival. Um, We had a great stream of of vendors of um, I can't think of the word right now, but of of vendors who were selling merchandise within the Native American realm, and so that was great. And I, I think we really did a great year this year with capturing all that. Of course, we had um, non-Native American retail vendors and um, food vendors, and that was also great too. We want them there. We want them to come and share the experience with us. And so I think overall, this year was really spot on to what we hope to see in the next few years and moving forward.
1: Yeah, no, I I think you did a fabulous job. I think you accomplished your aims and I uh, really felt good about participating this year uh, above and beyond everything else that had been done before also the uh, natural environment gave us a, a wondrous couple of days it wasn't windy the weather was perfect <laughs> and the and the weekends were uh, were great it really right. was it was really really wonderful and sometimes that's not the case sometimes the wind the wind can get us down in Indian Wells Valley but um,
2: <laughs> the W word Indian,
1: yes the W word right but uh, Indian Wells <laughs> Valley. Is a remarkable place, and uh, it's good to educate people on uh, the nature of its natural environment, its history, its prehistory, the flora, the fauna, the uh, ecology, etc., because it has a lot going for it and a lot of remarkable aspects. And many people, uh, I, I've I've talked to them, and they've lived in the area for many years, and they are are ignorant of anything about where they're living and what the history and prehistory and other elements are of it, uh, which always surprises me. And I've uh, Mm -hmm. also noticed that a number of the hotels and other elements don't even know about the Petroglyph Festival to speak of, which is surprising to me after so many years.
2: Right. I think you're getting the
1: word out much better these days, aren't you?
2: I think so, yes, but there's always, you know, room for improvement. I, I hold our festival to a high standard now that it, we're coming up on the tenth annual, but I don't shy away from from more marketing, from from more um, captive, capturing, you know, a larger audience and getting everyone out there to really understand the, what the Petroglyph Festival is all about. Really, so yes and no,
1: yeah. I know in the past, the local paper has, has always featured and talked about the festival and had uh, interaction, posters, yes, and then the, also the closing of you know the main streets to get in there. I, um, <laughs> I went down the wrong way and the police uh, told me what I was doing <laughs> wrong, so that was nice to, to get that back, and then um, I was uh, toured around in one of those little buggies, so that was also amazing. But nice. uh, people were so helpful to me and so happy to see me and such a wondrous experience. So why don't you uh, put a bow on it, Alexis, and, and uh, tell, us what, tell us something to be the tagline for festival number 10. How's that?
2: <laughs> Definitely. Well, you know, next year, November, the first weekend of November, we'll have the 10th annual Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival, double digits. Something we've been looking forward to and something that we really um, want to start diving into way before we have in the past. Um, we really want to highlight all the Native American culture. We're going to have um, pretty much similar lineup that we did last year, God forbid, as long as the performers were happy and want to come back. A lot of the audience and attendees, festival attendees, really really loved the performers this year. And so that's something we really want to keep intact. with, you know, all the way from Eric Hernandez, hopefully his, ne- uh, his uncle will join us again this year for the hoop dancing. Um, the Akamai culture group, who um, we are, is a local tribe and Sage Romero is the point of contact there. And, I'm so thankful he and his group came out and we hope to see them again next year. And of course, uh, you know, we had the blue mountain tribe who actually just won the native American music awards. I follow them on Facebook and I just saw yesterday that they won. So congratulations to blue mountain tribe. And we really hope to see them out there and hope to have a larger audience because they are just phenomenal and um, really to have the pow out there. And then the native American fried bread. I mean, that was a huge hit. I don't know if you were at the festival, but that line was large. So was, you know, I, was- I, I I couldn't
1: I couldn't face it. I love I love fried bread. I'm going. I'm not facing that line. But I <laughs> I next next year I'll do it. I'll get there early. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's
2: worth it. You know. And we even considered. Well, why don't we try to get two two fried bread vendors? Um. And so that's something we're juggling because we know we we don't want to take away from from the ven- vendor that was there this year who was absolutely phenomenal. She was great. Um. Uh, I cannot remember her name, but when I, when I get to it, I will let you know. Um, but yeah, she was, Oh, was it Regina? It was Regina. Her name was Regina. She was great. She was awesome. Her team was awesome. They were so helpful. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and everyone really seemed to love their fried bread. I mean, it was delicious. I tasted it and I was, I was in awe, but yeah, really to come out there. And, and even if you aren't sure, maybe you have a business and you want to come out there and be a vendor, let's do it. You know, um, this year, something that we haven't done in years past was a vendor, Came up to me, a Native American vendor who was with um, Pete Whitehorse and, and their entire group for the powwow had Native American shirts and Native American printed bottles that they wanted to give out on stage, and so they gave them to me, and I shouted them out and I let people know where they're at, and we were able to give out free merchandise, you know. And what we what I did was some Native American trivia, um, very simple, and and I think it really captured the audience and it kept people there wanting to see more performers. So that was really fun, and that's something that we want to incorporate for next year. So, yeah, I think I think come check it out next year and come see what the 10th is going to be all about. I mean, it's going to be great, bigger than ever and really capturing the Native American culture more than it did this year, because that's we're always about growing the festival in that aspect.
1: Alexis, you're uh, entertaining and I can just uh, feel your enthusiasm. (laughs) So thank you, Alexis. God bless you. And see see you uh, next next uh, month. Thank you. See you in the flip flop, gang. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media and the Archaeology Podcast Network and was edited by Chris Webster.
1: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archepodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.
0: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.